So, so that's a real problem, um, uh, is that this, this real powerful force of, of disinformation out there. And, and without the clear reckoning with the facts, you don't get that kind of reform you had after Watergate. That's why you've seen this effort to kind of rewrite uh, the, you know, not just the disimpasse, but the stuff we all watched on cable uh, live uh, and to tell us uh, that it was not so. Welcome in, kiddos. It's another uh, episode of your favorite Alabama political podcast, Alabama Politics This Week, with Josh Moon and David Person. <laughs> oh man, listen, we're gonna we we struggled for guests this week. <laughs> Scraped the bottom of the barrel, uh, and so we. Yeah. Had to, I mean, we couldn't even find anybody in state. No, so I had, had to, go to go to the to the doggone yeah. Ivy League. I mean, I just Got a couple of Princeton professors who apparently aren't doing anything else anymore. Uh, just just writing best selling books, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, oh, uh, Kevin Cruz and Julian Zelizer. Zelizer. Yeah. I think it's Zelizer. It's, it's Zelizer. I think it's right. I think it's right. Zelizer. Yeah. Yeah, Zelizer. That's yeah, it. Listen, so, so I screwed up a uh, world famous historian's name a few times. Okay. <laughs> Surely I wouldn't do you, it during the interview. What else? No. <laughs> well, you you no. were very close. You were very close. Uh, and he, yeah, didn't, uh, he didn't flinch. He didn't flinch. So I no, think he, he knew who I was talking about. He knew yeah, who I was talking yeah. about. <laughs> As, as my as my mother says when she screws up one of the one of the uh, kids' names, uh, right. you know what I'm talking about. You know? right. you, yeah. you over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, uh, well, yeah, that, but they're on to uh, to talk about their new book, Myth America, and uh, it's. Uh, I, I'll say this, and I did not. Obviously, I know this is the open to the show, but we've obviously already done the interview with these guys. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's no mm-hmm. secret. I'm not hide. We're not hiding things here from anybody. But we do sometimes. We do these things out of order so we can make the schedules work for everybody. And this is one of those times we've already done the interview. So, uh, I, but I, and I don't bring this up during the interview. But I learned something in the first 15 minutes of listening to this book. Mm. Um. And that is, did you know that in the state of Alabama, we had a monument to John Wilkes Booth? No, where? It was in Troy. Whoa. Yeah. Now, but, like it was on, a statue monument? That's what you it mean? Was, yeah, it was, on, it was a three or four foot tall concrete monument. Uh, to John Wilkes Booth, and it was engraved with, uh, in recognition of his assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Lord Jesus! Yeah. Now it, it, this was where, this was privately paid for, so this was not. Uh, now there there was some uh, there was some talk at one time of putting it on the courthouse square uh, there because uh, I went and looked all this up after it was mentioned in the in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, about this monument to John Wilkes Booth being there. Uh, and this was in the early 1900s, 1906, I believe, is when it was erected. Um, and and it was really one gentleman in, I'll say gentleman, really one asshole in Troy, uh, 
wanted to do this. And so he put the the majority of the funding behind it, but some others contributed as well. And there was a push at a time to put this monument in a public place. Uh, they wanted to put it on the courthouse square. They wanted to put it on some public piece of property. Uh, ultimately, the backlash uh, prevented them from doing that. And so he simply displayed it on his property alongside a major highway. Uh, hmm. Uh, in Troy there for years until it was, uh, but you said he died, but but you said it was only three to four feet tall. So could people really see it? Well, I, I, from the, the photos that I saw, it was setting up on some sort of a structure. Uh, and so it was, uh, you know, you're, you're at that time, you know, how those old concrete monuments, you see them a lot in, um, in cemeteries now, you know, it's, Mm. uh, yeah. And so it was, it stood up. You know, had a, had a base on the bottom. And then oh, I see. Stood up okay. with, a, with a little placard, and it was, you know, had had these different things. So in the it. final so, analysis, it, it may have been elevated yeah, probably, an additional yeah, five, five, or five or six ten, feet yeah. or something. Yeah, I mean, okay. it's, it, was certainly, it was certainly noticeable from what, mm-hmm. I, what I could see. So, but anyway, so that was uh, mentioned, to, it, and it was not a major portion of the book. Now, it was, uh, this was just mentioned in passing and uh, on the section uh, that they have. And I mean, it was, they've got a, a ton of different um uh, a ton of different chapters in that book. All of them are essays, short essays written mm-hmm. by historians. Uh, and they co-edited, Cruz and, and Zelizer co-edited right. this book together. Uh, and, and Cruz also wrote uh, wrote at least one of the pieces in there that I, mm-hmm. that I know of. And it was the, so, his was the Southern strategy. So did they say, did they say, you say there was a backlash. The backlash came from the people of Troy or where did it come from? Yeah. Yeah. There were some people of Troy that were, that were, I mean, honestly, you know, it was a monument to a, to a guy who assassinated the U.S. Yeah, president. Yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, there was some, there was some feelings at the time because, you know, that was in the, in the midst of reconstruction right. uh, or on the tail end, I guess, of reconstruction. And, uh, and so, um, you know, there, there was some, some folks there that felt like that just crossed the line, even if they were, you know, less than uh, pleased with Abraham Lincoln, they've still felt that a monument to the man who shot him, uh, you know, uh, in an assassination uh, at a theater uh, was, uh, you know, not necessarily the greatest look for the town, right. I guess. Right. Um, so and so bridge too far. Right. Yeah. And so I think that there were some some who were it, it, from what I read about it, because I like I said, I went and, and looked into it a little bit further and I just, you know, some some quick Google searches on it. From what I read there, there did seem to be uh, some attempts to, to do this. So he obviously had some people who also were on his side and trying to get this placed in the public realm uh, and or on a public square somewhere. And so, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, but you know, honestly, it, it's as uh, atrocious. There's no doubt about that. But all of these other statues, and that's one of the big parts of the, uh, uh, you know, the the chapter on Confederate monuments. So they they go into in the book. Just talks about how these things came about, where they were, who erected them. Uh, you know, the United Daughters of the Confederacy were behind a lot of it, and uh, and. You know, it just it, it talks about their intent and their purpose and what they were designed to do and and why they did them. And 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 it took a severe rewrite of history uh, to to come about erecting statues to men such as Robert E. Lee and some of these others. Um, and you, and you still see it today with people who talk with some reverence about Robert E. Lee as though he were. Uh, just this great military mind, and that's the reason why we've got to do this, which is really 
on top of everything else, on top of being a racist who owned a bunch of slaves and treated them horribly by published accounts that we have of him, uh, he was also a pretty shitty, shitty general. Okay, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. he was responsible for one, uh, you know, one of the worst defeats uh, of the entire campaign, and uh, often took his his troops into battles that you know, and and misled them in ways that. Uh, brought on heavy casualties and it was, I'm just go and read the history of the guys. It's, uh, it's there, uh, which is a point of this book. And the reason why we had them on this history is there for people. Just stop taking things at face value, especially when it glorifies hateful, awful humans uh, processes and everything else. Um, Well, good for the people of Troy who pushed back. I I mean, that's, you know, those who pushed back good for them. And, you know, even though uh, we've seen, you know, statues and monuments to Robert E. Lee, as you just said, and Nathan Bedford Forrest and other, um, you know, Confederates, you know, that that is just simply, I mean, a statue to the assassin who killed President Lincoln. That's that's just appalling. That's Absolutely. really appalling. appalling. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is appalling. And, you know, and I, you know, I, I'll say this, one of the. One of the, probably, I, w- I guess this may may have been the biggest amount of backlash that I've ever received on anything. Um, was you, if you recall in the wake of the George Floyd uh, murder, that there were a number of incidents of people toppling Confederate statues at yeah. different places. Yeah. When. I- <laughs> I went on Twitter and started simply giving out the addresses of Confederate statues. And and pointed out that there's one of Jeff Davis standing on the lawn at the Capitol building in Montgomery. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, and man, some people were angry that I was encouraging <laughs> violence and rioting and looting and destruction of property. Uh, yeah, I was encouraging a destruction of that particular property. I was. I, I wanted them to not trample the grass and to take that damn statue there. You know, it's it's a it's an eyesore, uh, and it is it's. It's such, you know, we, we had this discussion and you know, get, get too deep in the weeds on this. Although, I mean, this, you know, it's our podcast. We can say whatever the hell we want to. So, right. uh, but you know, we, we had this discussion around, um, uh, the renaming of the high schools in Montgomery, uh, you know, which, uh, the public high schools in Montgomery are majority black schools. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, those kids were being dropped off every day at schools named for Robert E. Lee, Jeff Davis. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's uh, it's it's an outrage. It really is an outrage. Oh, and, yeah. uh, you know, and we so we, we started talking. Uh, I remember bringing up this uh, this in a column uh, several years before they actually changed the names of these uh, and, and talking about Jeff Davis and who he was. The, the only reason the only reason you would name anything for Jeff Davis in Alabama is because you wanted to piss off black people. That's the yeah, only reason yeah. you would do it because otherwise he did nothing of any real consequence. I mean, yeah, he was the first president of the Confederacy. So he was the leader of the traitors. Right. And, uh, and then past that, 
He hated everything about Alabama, wasn't from here, spent basically three months here, hated every second of it, talk of it, of what a shithole the whole place was, and what, mm. could not wait to get out of here, and then never came back. So, mm. Mm. Uh, you know, and on top of that, these people were like, well, yeah, but he regretted what, you know, what had taken place during the war, and he was not really an advocate of slavery. He said if he could do it again, he would. <laughs> so... Anybody you know, who's and, and to me, that's, you know, knowing what what his vice president, Alexander Stevens, said uh, in his uh, in his famous or infamous cornerstone speech. I don't buy that Jeff Davis was no advocate for slavery. They you were know, all advocates for slavery. Right. That's, that's that what was, they were that, protecting. That's was the whole that point. economic system. Exactly. It was the whole point. I mean, yeah. and, and it wasn't just about slavery. For Alexander uh, Stevens, it was about white supremacy. He mm-hmm. was he was very concerned about making sure that he says it in the speech that white supremacy was the foundation for their so called new nation. Yeah, he's very explicit about that. Yeah, yeah, that's what this is what they did. I mean, this is. You know, and listen, that, that's that's part of the reason why the, this book is so great, mm-hmm. uh, because it goes into doing just exactly what David just did, which is bring up the exact words that people were using at that time. No nuance and bullshit and, uh, you know, and generalizations about things. This is what was said during those times. And this is what they were trying to do, you know, and that so much of this book, uh, Myth America, is about that. And it's uh, and so it'd be, you know, it's an interesting conversation uh, with with two very, very smart people. So, yeah, it's great. Uh, it was great. David held yeah. his own. Uh, <laughs> we both held our own. <laughs> well, I'm a, <laughs> I might have fucked up the guy's name. So it's a, listen, yeah. it's a, you know, you get one or the other. Here you, we go, okay? you were you. I think I think you were at least eighty five percent there every time. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh well, let's you know. That's how it goes sometimes. Speaking yeah. of being 85% there, uh, our attorney general uh, uh, is uh, not 85% there. Definitely um, not. Steve Marshall. Um, you know, I have called Steve Marshall the most dangerous politician in Alabama. Mm. Uh, and, and here's why I think that. Um, because Steve Marshall has proven time and time again that he is willing to do almost anything to further his political career, say anything to anybody, uh, uh, align himself with essentially any group or any person, uh, do things that he knows he should not be doing. Uh, And he has proven over and over that he'll do that. And he will still stand in front of you and pretend as though he has the moral high ground. Hmm. And all of these things. He hmm. reminds me a whole hell of a lot of Ron DeSantis hmm. um, and hmm. in that regard. And hmm. uh, which, but he's often tripped up by the fact that he's not quite as smart as he thinks he is. Mm-hmm. And where it's often rears its head for Steve Marshall, DeSantis is is another guy. I mean, DeSantis's problems often come out in, in when he has to be in public and he can't control the environment, and and so that often has a he has a problem there. Uh, Steve Marshall's problems usually come when he gets into friendly interviews 
with conservative outlets that he's trying to impress because he knows he's got in the future coming up, if he wants to ascend into the governor's office, which is, I believe, where he wants to go, he Mm -hmm. knows he's got to deal with one person in particular, and that is Will Ainsworth. Mm -hmm. And if he's going to beat Will Ainsworth, he's going to have to out-conservative Will Ainsworth. Mm -hmm. And he's not going to have the money. Yeah, no, oh, yeah, no easy task. Uh, yeah. Ainsworth has set himself up, and Ainsworth's going to have the backing of the farmers because of his father, and uh, and and he's going to have a, a a boatload of cash at his mm. disposal, and and so Steve Marshall's got a very big hill to climb, and so he's going to have to do it by aligning himself with the just absolute nutballs of the world mm-hmm. out there. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that's, this is what happens. Uh, our, uh, in July, he went uh, and told, uh, uh, he was on some uh, a, a radio show and he told the host then that they were going to use Alabama's accessory laws to attempt to charge people who assisted women who were going out of state uh, to get abortions that were legal in those states he was going to try to charge the people who assisted them with accessory to felonies, mm-hmm. uh, which was horseshit. And he never could do that. And a judge would have laughed him out of a courtroom for even attempting to uh, say, I mean, it's like, honestly, it's like if I drove you to Tunica to gamble. And, I, I, and that is a, a word for word. That is an example. A circuit court judge used with me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I if I drive that. my wife to that. Tunica to gamble, they're going to charge me with an accessory because it's mm-hmm. illegal here. Uh, and yeah. I, uh, and so that was nonsense. And now yeah. he's done it again. Uh, as though, and as though, and, and, and let's stay, let's hover on that point for a minute, because sure. I think that's really, that's really a key point. <clears throat> if I leave the state to do something that is illegal in the state, mm-hmm. the laws of Alabama do not follow me. They do not. They do not follow state me. State rights. State rights. Yeah. So. If I decide that I want to go to California and fire up a joint, the laws of Alabama don't follow me. If I want to go to Nevada and go to one of those areas where it's legal to go see a prostitute, the laws of Alabama don't follow me. They do not. You know, now, and I'm not advocating those things, but I'm just simply saying, let's let's be real. Let's let's be real about this. That is a ludicrous proposition coming from the person who's supposed to be articulating and representing the laws of our state, defending the laws of our state. Mm-hmm. You know, who's supposed to be playing a chief role in the enforcement of the laws of our state. That yes. is really astounding that he yeah. would take that position. Oh, it's not astounding at all. It's he, honest to God, he forgets when he does these things. I believe, I believe this to be the case. I believe he forgets that other people can hear him. That uh, in, in the case of radio interviews and in the case of media, other media interviews that people that they're going to write his words down and relay them to other people. That, that, I, honestly, I, it's it's this is because for the second time, because this was that was the first time the second on the abortion issue. That was the first time. Now, the second time has come about because recently the Food and Drug Administration has said that uh, brick and mortar pharmacies uh, can dispense just regular brick and mortar farmers can dispense the two most popular abortion medications uh, that are provided most often uh, for people who are early in their pregnancies and are seeking to, to have an abortion. They can be prescribed by a doctor, uh, these pills, and they can get them now at regular pharmacies. Or, according to the Department of Justice, they can have them mailed to their to their residents. Uh, 
So, uh, and they can do so, uh, they can have that mailed to their residents in states like Alabama where uh, abortions are illegal. So this is a, this is the federal government's, basically uh, their, their way around Alabama's and other red states' stupidity on this particular topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, whatever. And so now Steve Marshall, though, in response to that, goes to another right-wing propaganda site and conducts an interview uh, in which he says, if that happens, they are exploring the option of using Alabama's chemical endangerment laws Laws that were written and put on the books for people, women, uh, women who were taking uh, illegal drugs or taking uh, medications that they were not prescribed uh, because they have an addiction. Or we're talking about opioids, most likely here. Okay, uh, but illegal illegal drugs or uh, medications that they weren't prescribed, which could be harmful to their fetus or, or child and or unborn child. Well, and, and also exposing children to meth labs yes. and crack yes. cocaine, because when you go through the when you go through the uh, the actual bill itself, mm-hmm. you see words like bongs, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and and cocaine is actually listed, uh, yeah. so along with meth. So yeah, it's all of that. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, apparently we can't go back and um, and 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 arrest my my grandfather for giving me sips of beer when I was seven. But I mean, listen, you know, <laughs> maybe we should, um, but uh, maybe what's wrong with me now and why I cannot remember the guy's name. Uh, so, uh, but, uh, but, um, uh, so yeah, so he's, he says this and then immediately, you know, this hits, uh, you know, a bunch of different sites and people are like, Oh, can you believe that this, this guy's actually saying this? And, you know, Chris England responded, called it bullshit that there's no way that these laws can be used for this is these would be legally prescribed medications uh, that are coming to women. Uh, it doesn't make a damn about where, what the laws are in terms of, uh, you know, abortion rights, uh, in, in the state, these would be medications that were prescribed to them. Uh, by a doctor legally that they are then taking. And, and, so. and Josh, in addition to that, and this is what's so crazy to me, even in Marshall's statement, his own mm-hmm. statement, he acknowledged, he conceded that the law itself forbids the very thing that he says he wants to do, which is to yep. prosecute women who have had abortions or who have taken this this pill to, to have an abortion. The very law that was passed by the legislature last year says women will, will not be prosecuted. It says it three times in three different places in the law. Women will not be prosecuted for trying mm-hmm. to have an abortion or for having an abortion. Yes. And, and it contradicts what he said, what he said himself. Yeah. When he did these rounds of interviews prior, uh, you know, right after the Roe decision uh, or prior to all this other stuff, right after that Roe decision, he went on to to explain this, what's happening in Alabama and Alabama's laws. He did this whole round of interviews. He loves, oh, he loves to see himself on TV (laughs) and talk seriously to to TV reporters. No, no, it doesn't. It does not do this. It was, oh, he loves it. Oh, it's the greatest thing ever for him. Uh, And, but he said, 
during that time. This is not something. We're not, women cannot be prosecuted because remember that was a big thing. Yeah. And Republicans were really, really worried right then because there was a huge fallout mm-hmm. and there still mm-hmm. is. And as you saw in the midterm elections, mm-hmm. when everybody thought, oh, that inflation is going to get old Uncle Joe and the Democrats. Well, the abortion issue came back and bit them on the ass because women were like, no, we're, we're not happy about this. But a big talking point and a big pushback was, well, all of these laws, though, we're not criminalizing women. This isn't going to be a handmaid's tale type situation where we're arresting a bunch of mothers right. because they're trying to do this. We're not going to do that. Yeah. Mm, and that's exactly. Out. Yeah, they are. That's what he's going to try yeah. to do. Or says he's going yeah. to try to do. Yeah. Uh, mm. It's just. Mm. I mean, man, you know, it's it's it's. Uh, I don't understand how if you're if you're a woman in this state. You're you're still voting for these people. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't. I don't either. I don't either. Um, it it just seems like it's um, um, the you know there's no <laughs> they just I mean they're that the Republican Party today's Republican Party. Let me let me be specific. Today's Republican Party clearly does not value women does not value people of color. And mm-hmm. yet they want us women and people of color to vote for them. They want us to vote for the party whose policies, whose rhetoric often attacks us mm-hmm. and see mm-hmm. and seeks to subjugate us to a lower standard of living or to having lesser rights. Why mm-hmm. in the world would we want to do that? Now, there's always a percentage of people who do, which is astounding to me. I, I don't, you know, they're, the, the way they see the world, I just don't understand how they're wired. But, you know, I, but, but the vast majority of us are like, no, we don't, no, we don't want anything to do with you. You know, change your ways. You know, go back. You know, if, you, if you go back in time and you decide that you're going to be the Republicans of the you know, of the, uh, of the 19, uh, of, well, I shouldn't say 19, well, of the 18, you know, the 1800s, you know, late 1800s, <laughs> early 1900s, yeah. then maybe yes, but, but, uh, but not, not as you're currently constructed, constructed. No, no, no. It's a, you know, and it, I, honestly, man, I, I hate to, you know, harp on this a lot, but um, I should, I guess these guys are, uh, it's a very good book, but I mean, that's, that's part, you know, what you just brought up is, is part of of what's in the book about the uh, Southern strategy that's written by by Kevin Cruz is it's this is there was a conscious decision made at a point by the Republican Party. I'm not talking about the uh, just some generalization here, okay? Where where oh they they realized they needed to you know they needed to change and do this, or they they just over time gradually went against these democratic proposals, and it just so happened that the Democrats bought off the uh, the black folks with all of their food stamps, mm. you know, which is what you hear now, right? Yeah. There was a conscious decision made by the Republican Party to join up with the Dixiecrats mm-hmm. uh, at the time uh, and and back. A segregationist Strom, platform. Strom Thurmond was and, and right. racist Strom rhetoric. Thurmond was, uh, yes. you know, he was a, a major part of that whole transition. Yeah, yes, he was. He was there. He yeah. was their nominee for, in uh, for in the in the mm. Birmingham meeting. And uh, so, listen, it's it's just not. 
you know, these are not things that that people talk. You know, when you hear people talk about, it, these are not just things that they're making up or that mm-hmm. there's some liberal propaganda out of this. These things happened. You can yeah. go back and look at, listen to the conversations that took place, and look at the the. They wrote it down. That's they right. wrote it down. It's documented. And, oh, and also the, the, what, what, what else was documented was the reaction of black leaders at the time. So you mm-hmm. had people like uh, 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 Daddy King, as he's called, Martin Luther King Jr. Sr. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, Martin Luther King Sr., Daddy King, <laughs> right. who, um, right. who, who literally walked out of, uh, I think he walked out of the Republican convention of, was it 1960, I think? He uh-huh. walked out. He walked out. Said, "I'm done. I'm yeah. done. I'm done with you people." Yeah, uh, it's because they were they were trying. They were attempting to wrestle with what was taking place. The Democrats had put forward uh, a number of proposals that were going to make life more equitable. Uh, make and really, it was about money, like it normally is for for mm-hmm. most people. It was about mm-hmm. money, and then they used race to try to make themselves more money, and and that's how it was going. But um, you know, but that, that, listen, that doesn't don't think for a second that I'm saying that absolves people of being horrible. It's right. just as horrible to do it for that reason as for any other. Um, and so uh, I just, but it, it you're, you're right. All of these things they they took place, man. I mean, I, I'll never forget. Uh, Jerry Mitchell, who was uh, uh, just a great reporter at the Clarion Ledger in Mississippi. And oh, who, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, wrote the uh, he's in the movie Mississippi Burning. He's portrayed in the movie Mississippi mm. Burning as basically being this annoying guy, you know, this annoying reporter, Jerry. Uh, but he was the one who broke all these stories. He was yeah. the reason why they had a trial for uh, Byron D. LeBeckwith and all these other guys over there, uh, all these old Klansmen. Do you know how he found it? So I, well, I'll never, uh, we had a, a, a at the advertiser. They used to reward us for being you know good reporters and stuff. And and one of the things they would do every year is they would have they would give us out of like a little bonus, and then they would have some of us um, you know honored with like some little ceremony or whatever. And they would have a speaker that would come in and would have this nice little thing. Uh, they, and they would give out awards for this. And uh, one of the people who came in to speak was Jerry Mitchell. And uh, we went to, I got to go, I was one of the people who went to lunch with him that year. Just so happened I was the person. Uh, and, um, and they, you know, he talked about finding these records and things of mm. stuff. Of, of the, you know how he found them? I, he I just went to the archives. Yeah, That's all he did. Yeah, they were laying there. Mm-hmm. They, they were just laying there. I mean, they mm-hmm. were just all, it had white citizens council meeting minutes written how on about it. about that? And they just he just read through them. So he they, would he went to the they, state archives. Yes, to the state yeah. archives. They in had documented yeah. murders mm-hmm. in their minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it mm-hmm. was you know what I'm saying. So that's the arrogance, the hubris. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so when people talk about this this level of racism and this level mm-hmm. of of mistreatment of people, we're not guessing. Right. They wrote it down. Yeah, they told on themselves. Down. They told on yeah. themselves. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I mean, they, they they didn't think of it as something that they shouldn't be talking about. This, yeah. is, this is what they did, you know? They that's just that, did this. That white privilege, baby. That white yeah. privilege. And so so that's, you know, mm-hmm. that that sort of thing is is what we've what we've grown from. And it just, you know, that it, it troubles me to see and I'm I'm not talking about Steve Marshall's racism. I, I you know, I don't I don't I I'm you know, he's done a lot of things that makes me question his intent and what he would do in similar situations. Uh, mm. You know, just his interactions with the people in Birmingham alone 
Mm -hmm. uh, is very, very troubling. Uh, But in this particular regard, it's more of his just his relationship with truth, you know, and and the way that he is willing to just say whatever the hell he wants to say. And at a time when he thinks that might benefit him the most. And that's what he did has done twice now with this abortion issue. And it doesn't seem to matter to him at all that this has put women of this state in a tremendous amount of uh, of terror, basically, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because, you know, immediately I see people when, whenever this is brought up, well, we're just saving those those innocent babies, you know, and this is those women shouldn't be doing that. Well, you know, what about the thousands and that's right, thousands of rape cases that we have every year that result in in pregnancies. What about mm-hmm. those? Women? You know, what, mm-hmm. what should we do? What, you know, are, are those women horrible human beings as well? Mm-hmm. Are they are they terrible people because they don't want to have that forced upon them? Is that right? And what about the teenage girls and and maybe even uh, preteens who mm-hmm. are victims of incest and molestation and end up pregnant? Are they supposed right. to be forced to carry those babies? Yeah, or, that's inhumane. Or, yeah, or or how about the how about the the woman who wants a child who really really wants a child but they found out something's wrong, you know something's wrong. It's not going to affect. It's not going to probably uh, be harmful or threatening to her life, but um, they're going to have a child that is uh, that either has to survive for the next several months in pain and agony, um, or the child that will will never be viable outside of the womb, uh, or a child that's already dead inside the womb. All, right. What about all of those things? That's right. But why all put, of those things. Yeah, if you if you love if you love children so much and you're so concerned about children, why put them through that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so you know that's where you know th- see that's where this whole rhetoric of all of this comes into play. Is mm-hmm. nobody here ever thought that Roe was going to be overturned? Um, they thought that there was going to be that. Well, they honestly stupid them. They they took these Republican appointed justices at their word when they said they cared about precedent and whatnot. And they were they were never going to overturn Roe. Uh, so, you know, how about them? How about Republicans getting fooled by Republicans? Yeah. Um, and so. You know, that's what happened is the rhetoric played out and they passed this law trying to win votes trying to win support from the ultra conservatives because we've gerrymandered the hell out of this state. Um, And, you know, they can't, once it passed, then it was, well, how do we put, you know, the, the toothpaste back in the bottle uh, here in the tube, you know, Uh, and there's no way, there's no way to do it now because you've told these people out here that this is the most important thing. And, um, and and now you can't you risk everything because some jackass will come along and try to outright you, uh, mm. out nut you on this, mm. and mm. and here you go. And so now, for mm. politics' sake, they have to keep up this farce, and they know it's not right. And hell, they know they've seen the polling in this state. They know that the people of this state don't like what they've done. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we've gerrymandered it to the degree that they're never going to lose. So mm. here we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All righty. Um, let's, uh, let's slide out of here. We, we come back. Uh, we'll talk to a couple of, uh, Princeton historians, uh, Kevin right. Cruz, to the Ivy league, baby, to the Ivy yeah. league, the Ivy league. That's right. We're going mm. to Ivy league. We'll we talk to Kevin Cruz and some other guy. I don't know. It's <laughs> Zelizer. 
<laughs> Zelazer. Zelazer. It's, it's Julian Zelazer. And as you will hear during the interview, the man is really smart and really, really good and awfully kind to a person who keeps butchering his name. So, uh, <laughs> so all right, let's slide out of here. All about politics this week. We're back in a I'm David Person with Alabama Politics This Week. You know, you listen to me and Josh every week, and we have a blast as we talk about Alabama politics and culture and as we interview newsmakers and journalists about Alabama politics and culture. Thanks for your support of this great podcast, and I hope that you will continue to not only listen, but to share it with your friends and also give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to it. Thanks a lot. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person, and uh, we are uh, happy. Listen, we we know we get a little intellectual on you, and so we thought for a few minutes at least we would dumb this thing way down uh, and, and bring in uh, <laughs> actually... Yeah, I think it's uh, the reverse, right? I right, it's, it's, it's definitely the reverse. It's the only reason I can joke about this. So, uh, I mean, it's uh, we're, we're bringing in Princeton professors, uh, historians, uh, and as of today, best-selling authors, I guess best-selling co-editors, would that be the yeah. correct way to... Although... Yeah, you, you do some writing in the book, so yeah. I mean, you would think author would be right as well. But it's Julian Zelizer and Kevin Cruz, uh, Princeton professors and historians. Um, I, if you follow follow them on Twitter, uh, I, I know uh, a lot of people do, and a lot of people have uh, have gained a lot of knowledge, uh, from, from you guys over the years from just kind of debunking some of the myths. And that's what the book is, is it's American myth. Uh, historians take on the biggest legends and lies about our past. And, um, first of all, I guess kind of, if you would, uh, I, I've, I've listened to it, uh, over the course of the last couple of days. Um, it's fantastic uh, to me. Um, it, it fits right in my wheelhouse because it's a series of essays. And so for my uh, short term uh, attention span, it, it fits great. But if you would, I guess, kind of describe what the book is and, and what you guys set out to do with the book. I mean, I'll start. Look, we, we're both uh, historians who also have an eye on politics and just following the news, not only during the Trump era, but in the years leading up to it, we would keep reading and hearing uh, claims, um, often in the press, more so in the conservative press, uh, conservative media system, where they were saying things about the U.S. past that were just totally at odds with what not one or two historians, but most historians write about a given issue, whether it's what we know about immigration, race relations, the role of government, in American life. And so we thought, um, why not offer uh, some sort of response? Why not bring together some really smart historians who know how to write well and who are committed to communicating with the public to just put together short essays that capture um, key issues, what we know about it, uh, what historians have found in the archives, and to convey that to the public uh, to at least try to um, 
make a more complicated, more nuanced, and uh, more uh, realistic understanding of what's happened in American history. You know, uh, there obviously, uh, you know, I, I said that it fits my attention span because these are shorter essays that, and you can kind of bounce around. Um, but also, several of them kind of fit into my wheelhouse, I guess I would say. And and given where I live, where I've grown up my entire life in Alabama, um, the the lost cause uh, is is a, is a major portion of this. The Southern strategy, I know, I believe. Kevin, you wrote about that. You wrote that essay. Um, uh, so those have been major uh, influences on me growing up here. Um, I guess, you know, what, what struck me about a lot of this is, and I wonder if you're the same way, is how much of the misinformation is rooted in racism. Um uh, not, I mean, just even when we're, we're not talking about the lost cause and things outside the South, but so much of it, you know, immigration wise and a lot of policy issues uh, that people get wrong. Uh, so much of it is rooted in in just blatant racism. Yeah, I, I think that's sad. You know, I'm, I'm a, a Southern to a group in Nashville, so I've, I've been swimming with these issues my whole life, too. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, there are obvious ways in which the, the racism plays in here. The Southern strategy is a, is a, is a key one. Um, uh, a piece of white backlash by Larry Glickman, which is just uh, terrific. Really makes you rethink that uh, that whole issue. Uh, one on uh, insurrection and, and kind of white nationalist movements uh, by Kathleen Blue. Um, but, but the immigration one you mentioned is, is I think, a really good one that, that, that goes into this. And you may say, oh, it's why is it racist? Well, the piece by Erica Lee, who's the, 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 currently the head of the Organization of American Historians, a really brilliant historian. Um, talks about uh, this myth of they keep coming, right? And we see this all the time. And you see it on Fox News nonstop, right? That the, the, these immigrants are coming to the country. Why? Why are they coming? Well, it, it puts all the blame on the immigrants, right? Mm-hmm. And, and certainly they have an active role in here, but it ignores all the stuff that Americans have done to lure Amer- uh, to lure immigrants here, right? It's not just uh, that they're uh, they're pushing their way in. We're pulling them in, right? right. Whether it's, it's corporations looking for cheap labor, government programs inviting people in, uh, all sorts of things. And so when we think about the, you know, the border crisis or immigration, and you put all that blame on individual immigrants, it really ignores the stuff we can actually control what we do here in America, right? And so so that, I think, is, is a way in which the racism manifests. It's all those people's fault. We have nothing to do with it. Uh, and instead, I think it flips it entirely around. Yeah, it is a, uh, it's a, it's so striking to me. I think the other portion that gets me too is, and, and I figured this out a lot in reporting, uh, is that oftentimes we believe that there's this great hidden thing uh, out here that, that you know, you've really got to dig down underneath all these layers and layers and layers of things and and find this, you know, this this mistruth or this falsehood that's down there and that nobody knows about when. That's not really true at all in most cases. Uh, most of these things are laying right out in the open uh, for you to go back and find, and it just takes somebody putting it on paper a lot of times, right? Absolutely. I mean, the, the chapter we have on the Lost Cause on Confederate monuments really captures that. Uh, it's, it's pretty direct in terms of the timing and when uh, all these uh, statues went up, what they were intended to do and how they were really uh, response to an opposition to uh, reconstruction efforts for civil rights really uh, 
part of a, a, a larger campaign to roll back uh, progress that that had been made. And the authors vary. You, you know, you just look at the dates uh, and you look at who is behind those statues. It's very clear. She also has amazing uh, material. This is uh, Karen Cox, a historian uh, with voices from the black press as these were going up where there was no big mystery about what they were. <laughs> he has a quote from Frederick Douglass, um, really lambasting this you know, passion for Robert E. Lee uh, that was being nurtured. Uh, so it's not, this isn't hidden stuff. Uh, this is just about looking to people who've written about the period who understand what was going on. Uh, and that connects to where we started the conversation of what these essays are trying to do. Yeah. So as the only as the only black person uh, in this conversation right now, let me first of all say that um, I'm just sick and tired of you white guys always playing the race card. You're always bringing up race. I don't I don't get that. I'm really tired of it. I know. Okay. Sorry. Now, now dispensing with the satire, let me go on and be serious. Uh, what you just said, you know, brings to mind not only Frederick Douglass, uh, Julian, but Ida B. Wells and Zora Neale Hurston and uh, William Monroe Trotter and others who really uh, chronicled, <clears throat> you know, uh, lynching and um and and some of the other atrocities that uh terrorized my ancestors uh or at least my black ancestors uh what i want to know is this though if we're at a time right now when we can't agree on history and what is real history and when people are um very prone or at least i'll say a segment of the population seems to be just very prone to buying into, uh, as you as you say uh, in your subtitle, lies and delusions. What are we really to do? It's it's a big question, and I, and I don't profess to have all the answers. But um, I think a starting point is to, to do things like we're doing here, things like other historians are doing all over social media and, and op eds and TV and radio. It's just to stand in the ground and say, no, this is this is really a fact, right? Uh, and we've got to have that as a starting point. That you can disagree in your interpretations of something. You can put different emphasis, different weight. This fact more important than that fact, right? So if we're talking about the Republican Party's rise in the South, you can argue, oh, no, it was more about business policies or tax policies or this or that. You can, you can make that argument. That's fine. But you can't say, no, they never tried to play the race game. Right. I mean, again, I mean, it's it, it's talk about history that's right in front of you. My chapter on the Southern strategy is pushing back on people who recently have claimed this is all made up. This is all a liberal myth and, and people give a creative. It's all over the historical record. Right. Nixon and Goldwater in their archives talk about it in their memoirs. They talk about this stuff. They're very open. Uh, uh, Republicans as late as a, a decade ago were apologizing for this. They were trying to reckon with this. And now they're trying to wipe it all away. But again, Look back at the history. Look at Alabama's first Republicans elected in 1964 in the modern era. Bill Dickinson, who's one of the first class who comes in, says he's a former Democrat, was a segregationist, switches to the Republican Party and says, I have joined the white man's party. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not subtle. OK, it's not it's not we're not reading minds and trying to listen. It's right there in plain text. And you can disagree with that. But that's what this Republican candidate said at the time. And the pitch he thought he was making 
why he himself joined the Republican Party. Okay, so you got to reckon with that at one level, right? You can't just wave it away and say it's fake news; it didn't happen because it did, right? Uh, and you know, as as some of the writers said, facts don't care about your feelings, uh, and you've got to you've got to at least uh, uh, reckon with these facts and, and deal with it because they're there. And yeah, I think, they are. Yeah, the broader question that you raised is important, and we think about this. And so you're in this era where uh, kind of views are hardened, disinformation is out there. So there's one path where you could imagine people say, forget it. Uh, professors are like, I'm just going to stick to the classroom. I'm not going to get involved in this. Why do it? But that's a mistake. And it's the same with journalists and uh, you know, other uh, actors who want to be part of the public conversation, you have to keep moving forward. You have to make the kinds of interjections uh, that you want to make. And you hope uh, that you reach some people, uh, that you do strengthen the conversation, even if you don't transform it. And you don't know the direction which history is going to move. I mean, I wrote a book years ago on Lyndon Johnson, The Great Society, and it was amazing that when Johnson took over, you read all the commentary, it was like nothing's going to happen on Capitol Hill. The conservative coalition is going to block everything. And civil rights leaders like King said no. Uh, Johnson, as president, said no. And then you have a breakthrough. And so I think all of our responsibilities, and that's part of what this book is, is to just keep putting out smarter, more intelligent, and more nuanced uh, material and, and hope the conversation uh, improves uh, and reach those who you can reach. You know, you you guys sound a lot like um, I think the way um, Josh and I approach this podcast and in our, our own column writing. And uh, you know, you just you know sometimes you feel like you're banging your head against the wall, but you just have to you just have to press on. Uh, James Baldwin said in his last book, he said, "History is a hymn written to white people." Uh, very, I think it's a very profound statement that encompasses uh, a lot of what you're addressing, and and the sort of the phenomenon that you're addressing. Um, and I guess what I wonder is, do you think that what you write about in terms of American history is unique? Or do you think it is part of a larger matrix of myth-making, particularly from a racial standpoint, but not exclusively, that has gone on in other nations? Uh, for example, I was in Cartagena, Colombia, I believe it was, and um, we were, we were uh, there on a journalistic uh, trip, uh, work trip, and we were touring a certain area, and the the tour guide was telling us, well, <clears throat> pardon me, was telling us about how um, some of the historical figures there had had been portrayed as white, and were being, and you could even see it in the artwork. But he said the reality is that those were not white people; those were, you know, black people or people of African descent. And, you know, as a black person, I look throughout history, not just in the United States, but outside of the United States. That seems to be very common, you know. Um, you know, so so what do you think? Do you think this is do you think this is unique or do you think, as, as I do, that this is part of something larger? I mean, I'll look, we, I'll say two things. I mean, one, 
uh, it's something larger and there's elements of a lot of what we're writing takes different varieties. It's kind of always situated in different cultures and political institutions, but um, these are issues that cross national boundaries. We have an essay, in fact, uh, by a historian, David Bell, that takes on the idea of American exceptionalism, the notion that the United States is totally unique, totally different from all other countries, free of these kinds of problems. We are not, uh, and other countries are not either. And uh, Bell kind of writes this historical essay to push us to think more about these points of commonality. I think you're right. Uh, I think we're learning that especially as communication changes and we see more clearly what's going on in other countries, whether it's uh, tensions and um, fault lines over race, uh, whether it's anti-democratic uh, movements that are taking shape, not just here, uh, but in other parts of the world. As, a, as someone uh, who's a descendant of Eastern European Jews, I just through my family, not through my studying, have seen how these kind of myths um, about about the, the Jewish people are, are not bound to the United States. They travel. Um, so I think it's, you know, our essays do focus, except for that one on the U.S., uh, but we open really uh, the book uh, with that theme that we can't just think of this country as a city on a hill. Uh, and the more we do that, the more we see what's going on in, in other countries and the points of connection, I think the richer our understanding is of where we've been. And I think it's pretty essential uh, that historians think that way. You know, I'll tell you the one thing that has really troubled me of of late about a lot of this is if you do go back and look at history, I take, uh, take Watergate uh, and kind of juxtapose it with what happened with the insurrection uh, at the Capitol. Um, you know, there was a, a, a fallout from Watergate there were consequences. There were things that that took place, uh, you know, it shocked the American public and, and there were consequences for what took place there. Where today, they seem on the disinformation side to have perfected that machinery um, to, to an extent where they can combat things that are happening right before your eyes in basic real time. Uh, I mean, the attempt to turn January 6th into just a regular tourist visit. You know, I mean, what what was this? I mean, it was nothing, you know, uh, to COVID, uh, you know, to all of these different things that they have weaponized, basically, disinformation to their benefit is as historians and people who deal with facts and, and, you know, now with a book that's trying to combat some of this, it... how worried are you about the state of where things are now? Uh, terrified. Uh, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I mean, you, you put your finger on something really important here, which is it's not just about you know, when Trump was in office and, and spending kind of uh, a lie a minute uh, about history. It was, was you, know, maybe you can see it as a one off, but it's really a larger, longer process than one that came before him, one that's going to live on after him. And a lot of it comes out of this conservative media ecosystem. You compared January 6th to, to Watergate. A lot of people have said, and I think they're right, if we'd had kind of the Fox News universe back in Watergate, Nixon probably would have stayed in office. There would have been enough of a, a rallying force around him, enough of a pushback against the facts of the, you know, you see the, most of the smoking gun tape. You know, they would have they would have questioned everything, right? Right. So, so that's a real problem, um, uh, is that this, this real powerful force 
of, of disinformation out there. And and without the clear reckoning with the facts, you don't get that kind of reform you had after Watergate. I think that's why you've seen this effort to kind of rewrite uh, the, the not just the distant past, but the stuff we all watched on cable uh, live right. uh, and, and to tell us uh, that it was not so, right? And it's, it's a very powerful movement. And it creates, I mean, it's, it's numbing. Uh, so almost anything can happen. And it's just justified uh, through really... Um, you know, false statements or misleading statements or totally skewed um, understandings of what's happened before and how it compares to what we just saw, whether it's January 6th or something else. And it is interesting and disconcerting to watch so many big things happen and they just happen and people move on. It's like, okay, you know, what's the next game on TV? Um, and, and you don't want to have a situation. You want to be able to grapple and understand those historical moments. I think all the essays in the book also are historians who take the long view. They don't say everything starts in 2017 when Donald Trump takes office uh, on different issues. They're saying you have to look 20, 30, 40 year trajectories to see how deeply rooted uh, some of these issues are. And, and finally, I mean, Kevin and I have talked about this. It's also problematic in that it's seeping into the classrooms and you have these history wars, so to speak, that are taking place in elementary and, and secondary schools and colleges where you have legislators trying to say what you can or can't study. We're literally now trying to erase basic civil rights history, um, not the controversial parts of the history, just the basic stuff, um, because somehow it goes against what uh, the opponents call a patriotic narrative of the country. And it's gaining traction. This is not irrelevant stuff. And if the next generation um, gets you know, bad information in the classroom because teachers can't even give them the right textbooks, that's terrible. And you know, it's frustrating to hear all these um, you know, commentators say we need more civic education. And then on the other hand, they're railing against one of the most essential part of our civic education, how race relations is played out in this country. Um, so on all levels, it's very troubling. And again, what we're trying to do, it's a very small contribution, but uh, to say, you know, uh, look at what the historians have been finding for so long. It's just not what you're hearing out there. Um, and, and we're going to need to push back. Hey, Josh, let me let me slide in a quick question here that I think ties into what you just sure. asked. Um, what do you say to the critics or or to people if it hasn't already started, who will say, ah, this, you guys are from Princeton, you know, you're <laughs> Ivy League, Ivy League liberals. You know, this is just more liberal pablum more propaganda from the left. What do you say to that? Well, I, I'd say, hey, we're not from Princeton. You know, I, I wasn't hatching a lab there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> some assumption that, you know, okay. Okay. we don't Good come point. from the real Good world. Point. Like, I, I grew up in Nashville from a, from a conservative family, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, but I get that. People might say, oh, what are these, these liberal eggheads uh, saying? Uh, I'd say, first of all, we have gotten some complaints that we've, we've targeted stuff largely on the right. But that's because that's where a lot of it's coming from. You know, uh, we had a president of the United States. Pushed forth a 1776 commission that recommended a patriotic education. You know, the, this stuff is going all again. It's, you know, DeSantis in Florida and Abbott in, in Texas and Bill Lee in my home state of Tennessee is, is pushing for, uh, you know, a, 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 a Hillsdale College 
uh, a model of, of education in, in the schools there, right? So it's happening on the right. So that's where we addressed it. Uh, Joe Biden starts talking crazy about, you know, World War II being you know, won by Martians. We'll debunk that too, I promise you. Uh, but, but right now, the bulk is coming from the right. And so that's where we had to respond. And, and I'll, say, I'll say a couple more things on that. Uh, a, I just reject the idea. And I, I don't like hearing that kind of criticism that somehow the work that we showcase uh, in our book is driven by historians who are, they're liberal, so they're picking and choosing what they want to write about. And they've just put together these essays that reflect what, I don't know, you know, pick a liberal today uh, wants to hear. Uh, and, and that's just not true. So uh, if they want to argue with the essays, argue with the essays, go into the details, like counteract some of the things we've been talking about, take the historians on their own turf, because I think they won't be very successful. These are very distinguished scholars who A, have been in archives, seen what the history is, and write their books based on that, uh, and B, who are well-versed in what so many historians of different political perspectives have found, and they're putting together kind of the overall story. So it's kind of a low-hanging fruit criticism. Sure, we'll get it. We've had some of that. Um, but I just think it's sloppy criticism, frankly. And I think uh, if you want a serious dialogue about some of the questions and focus on the essays, focus on the substance and let's have the debate based on that, you know, show different evidence, find lots of historians who done some counter narrative uh, that doesn't mesh with that who are credible. And I think that's how you respond uh, to that kind of argument. Yeah, right. and I think the, the next attack is obviously, well, if you don't like it here, just leave. Uh, you know, I get that. Right. I, I get that weekly. I get, I get that all the time. And it's it's such a, I mean, you, you guys get this too, I'm sure. Um, and it's such a silly argument. It's, you know, people who, it's Al Franken, who's once had a, a great line about this. There are two ways people talk about love in the country. One is like a toddler talks about uh, their mommy. And if anyone says anything bad about their mommy, then they're a bad person. The other one is the way a grown up thinks about the people they love. They love them. They're rooting for them. They want them to get better. They want them to improve. They want them to do right, right? And and you're trying to perfect that. That's real love. That's real patriotism. Me. So yeah. you're, you're not kicking me out of my country. This is mine. And if yeah. you love the country, you want to study the country. You don't want to yeah. whitewash the country. You don't want to ignore um, the bad, the complex, uh, the messiness of a country. To say, I don't want to study that, or you shouldn't write about that, is actually not loving a country. It's the opposite. It's not taking your country seriously. So, you know, when I read historians, uh, such as all the colleagues in the book or other, other colleagues who are serious and really look at all these issues, immigration, race, all the questions we're looking at, and they do it in a tough way, that's love of country. Uh, and that's what I hear when someone says, get out. It, it means you're not actually taking uh, where you live very seriously and you don't have a passion because you don't want to know about it. Yeah, well you know, it, I, well absolutely said. well said. And I'll tell you something else that, that, that Julian said uh, really touched on something that I wanted to bring up and, and had forgotten, which is when you li when you listen to this or I'm, I've been listening to it because I'm a book listener, not a book reader, uh, but because I, I, I listen to things all the time. And, but when you listen to this. You know, there's there's this idea out there when you, you push this that some people could push back. Oh, it's liberal propaganda or whatever. But when you're listening to it, 
it's it's recounting of a specific things that are happening. You know, it, it, from from newspaper stories, from the words of people that you know, and you're like, well, how are you gonna push back on that? Uh, you know, this is real life, and uh, you know, listen, guys, I I know y'all y'all are crunched for time. I, I saw you, you've got to go to the Washington Post and uh, you know and, and handle all that. And, and you're big time. I mean, this is this is <laughs> this is such a this is such a honestly. It's just such a great thing that, that y'all have done that you've put together here. It really is a tremendous asset to the country, I think, uh, what, what's what been done with this book. And we, we so, are so appreciative of you coming on and spending yes. some time. That's uh, it, uh, Kevin Cruz, Julian, uh, and I'm going to mess up your name for the last Zelizer. time. Zelizer. Zelizer. Uh, and I'm, I'm sorry. But listen, it, Myth America is the book. Go buy it. Uh, listen to it. Read it. Spread it around. Leave some at schools because God Ooh. knows they need them. Okay. Yeah. yeah All right. Yeah. Guys, listen, thank you so much for coming on and spending some time with us. Yeah, we thank, appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having us. Thanks great. for having us. Great talking awesome. to you, David. Great talking to you, Josh. All right. Good talking thank to you, you guys. Bye bye. Uh, yeah, it's I, honestly, man, I, I you know, I, I picked it up. I picked the book up and, and started with it. And it was, it's, I, I was just going to listen to it a little bit, you know, so I wouldn't be an idiot while I'm interviewing two really, really smart guys. And, uh, and it's, God, it's so good. It's awesome. really so good. We'll so good. All right. <laughs> hey, all right. We're going to slide out. We'll be right back in a minute to wrap this up. Alabama politics this week. Back in a minute. No, really. Thanks, guys. That yeah, was, we appreciate uh, it. politics this week uh hey listen if uh you like this episode uh you know kind of make giving us a nice review over at the apple podcast place or, or pass this thing around to, to some of your family and friends you know give us some uh, give us some more subscribers get this thing out uh out and about amongst the masses mm-hmm. and, uh, you know because i told you i have a buddy in california who's a regular listener Oh really? Really? I yeah, I have yeah. uh I got an email. As a matter of fact, I got two emails recently. One from a person in Canada who listens. Oh uh, wow! Uh, used to used to live uh, was here uh, for a period in the state, um, and I guess in Montgomery, uh, and then was uh, has lived all around, but now currently lives in Canada. And then another uh, from somebody who lives in South Dakota. Hmm. Uh, and they. As far as I know, never have been here. They're just interested in Alabama politics for some reason. Or Interesting. Yeah. Wonder how. Yeah, South Dakota. Wow, that's. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't even know how we show up on their radar. I, you that's know, what I, I was just, just trying to figure out. Yeah. Like, how do they? Yeah. Well, they're cool. just looking through podcasts one day. Going, you know, I'd like to listen to some really weird shit. Why not, <laughs> let's start with Alabama. <laughs> See what these Bama boys are talking yeah. about. Yeah, it's uh, maybe I thought it was a football podcast. Ah, know. maybe. Yeah, it's even though it's in politics. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, we don't take long to get to that name, but it's a, uh, you know, uh, it, we're doing well. We just would like to do better. So you know, just uh, you know, drop us, uh, drop us in somewhere. Talk to your people. Uh, yeah. Spread us around a little bit because I don't. I feel like we're not crazy. You know, <laughs> but that's probably something a crazy person would say, too. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, you pass that if you would like to uh, correspond uh, with us outside of the, you know, my normal uh, 
uh, APR email or I don't know how people get in touch with you, David. They just, uh, you know, uh, but I mean, if you'd like to get in touch with either one of us, you can yeah. send us a, an email at uh, APWproducer, right? Is that right? APWproducer mm-hmm. at gmail.com. It. APWproducer yep. at gmail.com. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, this is, I feel like this is a pretty good episode to ask for people to to do that since we've got on these two guys who, I think Kevin's got like 500,000 followers on Twitter at this point. Does he? Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, 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 Dr. Zelizer is back around my, uh, my point, uh, my part. I think we're, I'm at 30 or so and he's at 40 or so. So mm. uh, uh, that would be thousands, thousands. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's, that's, that's all. That's pretty yeah. good. That you have you have forty thousand Twitter followers. No, I have thirty. I have thirty. You have thirty. Have right, right, right around thirty. Yeah. Wow, that's uh, that's impressive. Yeah, that's, I don't. You know, I'm not on Twitter, so I, you know, but that's impressive, man. Well, it's a lot of it. I, I gained a lot of it back when I, I did um, uh, a lot. Oh, well, there was one tweet in particular. I think that Oprah retweeted, and that got me a ton. Um, and then also. Um, I think it was Oprah. It, it may have just been about Oprah, but somebody had retweeted. This guy said, you know, uh, a bunch of them uh, retweets. And then uh, then also back during the Roy Moore deal, mm. uh, I was on MSNBC and CNN and stuff a lot. And so um, that that time really beefed up the old uh, Twitter following. And, you know, it's just kind of once you get on there, you just kind of grow, you know, it just kind of. Uh, you know, you, you land on a, on a few more uh, folks' radar, and it just kind of grows. And it's I, I don't I don't I've honestly tried to take a step back from from doing Twitter so much. You know, especially after the whole Elon Musk deal. And I mean, yeah. I'm not I'm not protesting because I mean, he paid forty four billion dollars. He can do whatever the hell he wants to with the place. I don't care. Burn it to the ground. Uh, but you know, at the same time, it just got to be so kind of weird there mm-hmm. and and there were so many bots and uh and and it, yeah, it just i don't know it kind of just uh, it was an opportunity to stop doing something that really doesn't benefit me mm-hmm. for the most part except for on cases like this where i'm able to you know i've connected to it with a guy on on twitter um and and it paid off in an interview you know a few years later for the podcast and so that that's that's helpful uh but otherwise you know i'm not getting paid for tweets or anything mm-hmm. um you know so uh anyways uh but yeah it's uh you know we we it worked out pretty well in in this regard and um uh, let's um let's let's talk about something else yeah okay how about that transition <laughs> that's why i get hosting duties okay i see i see yeah. That's right. They said, well, let me hear your transitions. And I said, let's talk about something else. And so they're like, you are the guy. Um, Albert Turner Jr., um, son of a a, a very famous uh, civil rights figure in this state. Um, um, Albert Turner Jr. was arrested um, Mm -hmm. for voter fraud, uh, Mm -hmm. stuffing... Stuffing ballots, uh, allegedly, allegedly stuffing ballots, and mm-hmm. uh, and then mailing out to absentee ballots uh, to people, and which I mean, we could argue, I guess that that should be done regardless, but you know, whatever. Um, it's illegal at this point, and so I guess you know they they went after Albert Turner Jr., which I gotta say would make a lot of old white people in this state very happy to see Albert Turner Jr. arrested for something. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know. 
when you saw this, what do you think? Well, the first thing I thought was, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, oh, yeah, that's a, yeah. Whoa, I uh-oh. This is not a good, this is not a good look. And you know, the, 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 for whatever it's worth, you know, because I think the automatic reaction of, of some folks is going to be, oh, you know, this is a, a race thing. He's a black, you know, county uh-huh. commissioner or whatever. Well, you know, the uh, the DA uh, and, you know, and of course he, he has to, you know, we, we just we just spent the first half of the show uh, ripping up Steve Marshall. But the reality is the district attorney for Perry County uh, is a black guy, yes. Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. And, yeah. And I've known I've, I've known and interacted with Michael on and off through the years. And he's a thriller. He is a thriller. He's he's. Uh, I think he's. I think he's on his way out. I think he may be retiring or something. But uh, but um, Michael is a. He's a black guy, so he's the yeah. one who's he's a really very fair guy too. I've always. I've had some interactions when I worked at the advertiser with him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I've uh, always thought he was fair. You know, I did, I did smart too. guy, fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I you thought know, he was always very well respected, from what I could tell too, uh, amongst other DAs and mm-hmm. around. He, I, he's been appointed to a lot of different uh, uh, commissions and that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. and he's, you know, and he's. I mean, he survived. Uh, you know, being under both Democratic and uh, Republican, um, in, you know, administrations, and you know, so that says something too. So. You know, I, I, you know, I'm saying, uh oh, because I don't know that, <laughs> you know, I'm, I yeah. shouldn't be laughing because there's nothing funny about it. But it's just I just don't know that this is without merit. I mean, there's you know, my inclination is if he brought these charges, they got something on him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that um, I kind of, you know, unfortunately, I kind of felt the same way about that, which, you know, yeah. Because you you read you know if you read the kind of the details of of some of it and um you know it just uh you know and there weren't there weren't a tremendous amount of details I'm not and I'm not indicting Albert Turner Jr. Mm-hmm. There could say there could be some explanation uh, given uh, that uh, that would totally sway me to the other side on this because I I do uh you know I do worry that out of all the things that have gone on uh, over the course of the last several years somehow or another. Albert Turner Jr. gets arrested. You know what I mean? And yeah. just yeah, really. Uh, so you know, it, it just keeps being a surprise to me that there are a lot of allegations uh, from from white people against other white people in a lot of very white counties uh, that some shenanigans are going on during elections. And yet somehow or another, the people who keep getting indicted are surprisingly not white, uh, you know, Um so yeah, just you know that that seems to be a a little bit of a question in my mind. But yeah. but, yeah. but if you broke the law, you broke the law, you know. And the fact that they're not arresting everybody else doesn't doesn't give you uh you know some free pass on breaking the law. And so if that's the case for Albert Turner Jr., you're gonna have to do the time, man. So. Yeah, and I'm not and I'm not like you. I'm not indicting him. I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't know what happened. But the fact that they're saying witnesses came forward. You know, witnesses came forward. And then Perry County is a I believe it is a predominantly black county yes. if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um it's a predominantly I I think it's a predominantly democratic county mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. So, um, you know, there are, there are a lot of reasons to think that if 
Witnesses came forward and a a Perry County grand jury said, yeah, this you need to charge this guy. I, eh, again, we don't know. We weren't there, but it's not looking really good. And it, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't give me a lot of reason to think that, oh, this is just about race or just about politics. I, I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm with you. I, I just um I, I I mean, I don't know. It it I, I I that's exactly what I thought was if this thing went through a uh through a to a grand jury. It looks like I was trying to look up the data on on Perry County. It looks like from the last uh the last numbers that I could find here, it looks like they are almost 70% black. Uh, in the county, so so you you would have to think that that would be a uh, predominantly black grand jury uh, that heard this evidence and and indicted him on that. And so, you know, uh, if that's the case, it doesn't completely eliminate all the racial aspects of it, but it certainly right. makes it harder to bring a racially motivated uh, a, a case against someone like Albert Turner Jr. Uh, I think it, it makes it significantly harder to do that. So, mm-hmm. um, well, that being the case, you know, yep, innocent until proven guilty. So we'll see what yep. happens. Um, yep. uh, and, you know, surprisingly, same line was used earlier today. And by today, I mean Thursday, uh, by the Speaker of the House when he spoke of our right wing nut of the week this week. And uh, Kevin McCarthy said that, uh, you know, in this country, you're innocent until proven guilty. And that's we're just going to have to wait to see what people think about uh, George Santos, uh, the uh, Republican (laughs) congressman from New York, who has lied about, (laughs) as far as I can tell, literally everything about him. Sounds like it. Sounds like Uh, it. He has lied so far about his heritage. Uh, he has lied about twice, his college. Twice. Twice. He's, he, yeah, twice. twice. Because he's, he's, he suggested he was Jewish. He's also suggested he was half black. Wait, wait, wait. wait. He said he was Jewish. Oh, that's right. Jew-ish. 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 Yeah, not, not yeah. Jewish. Jew-ish. Yeah. So yeah. that's like Jew, Jew adjacent or something. Yes, I, yeah, I guess, yeah. yeah. I guess Maybe he has some he Jewish yeah. tendencies. I don't know. Yeah, or something. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, but but yes. he also said he was black at one point. Or at half one black. point. Yeah, yeah, have, have yeah, and yeah. uh, you know, turned. No, that's true. Uh, went to a great <laughs> college where he was the star of the volleyball team. Not true. Did not. Uh, did not graduate. <laughs> did not uh, get a degree. Was not on the volleyball team. Uh, the, uh, his mother, unfortunately, passed away at the Twin Towers on nine eleven. Except uh, she didn't. She didn't. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean. Dude, it he's gay. No, he's not gay. And and that and that's that was one that really was a head scratcher to me. I don't know many straight men who would try to who would think that it was to their advantage to say that they were gay considering how society treats gay men. Yeah. That yeah. one was a head scratcher for me. I didn't well, quite understand I mean, the logic there. He's trying to get himself elected, man. And he I honestly worked. Worked for him. Um, I, you, you think that was pivotal though for that for that district congressional district being gay was like a game changer? Or I think, I think it, changer? yeah, I think it helped. I think it helped him in that hmm, in that okay. particular district. All right. Yeah, okay. Uh, All right. uh, and you know that was a that was a seat that was a seat held by Democrats, and and so I think the more he could push himself towards the middle, 
Uh, and I think that did that, uh, that he, uh, it, it was to his benefit. Uh, and so I think him presenting himself as a, as a gay man who would protect LGBTQ rights were, was something that played I, I, I think well he could have presented history. himself as a gay ally though. Oh, I could without, have, but without, why do that? David, when saying, you can go all the way and just present yourself as a gay man. I mean, listen, if you're already yes. lying about your heritage and your nationality and, and how your mom died, why just not just say you're gay, going. buddy? You know? Yeah, keep the lie going. Yeah, okay. yeah keep them rolling. Okay. Why, why tell the truth about anything? Wow. Um, and this man, we, had, we forced Al Franken to resign. Over basically a joke photo, mm-hmm. you know. I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not excusing anything to do with uh, mm-hmm. you, you know the assault or sexual harassment of women in any mm-hmm. way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. But you know, Al Franken resigned from Congress over a photo of him that were in which he was pretending, pretending to squeeze the breast of a woman on, that was, had fallen asleep on a flight uh, with him to a military base where they were doing a comedy routine in uh, which they were comedians together and, you know, pulling bits and uh, things like that, and which he later apologized and, you know, all this. But he resigned. He resigned from Congress. Or, or mm-hmm. From the Senate. From the U.S. Senate. He resigned mm-hmm. over this. George Santos says, "No, you ain't getting me that way, baby. I'm hanging in there. Um, you're not. You're not pushing me out of this car. I am riding this baby to the end. Uh, you ain't. You ain't getting me out. Uh, you know. I honestly, it it reminds me of the scene in The Wolf of Wall Street, uh, where uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, the guy, is mm-hmm. giving the speech when he's about to resign and walk out, and and then suddenly decides and says." I'm not leaving. I ain't going nowhere. You know, I ain't going nowhere. Uh, uh, and and uh, and you hope, at least I do, that the result is the same uh, for George Santos. You hope that the whatever hundreds of thousands of dollars he's taken in campaign contributions that seem to be illegal uh, are going to catch up to him. Uh, the that some of this other money. Did you see the thing about his his chief of staff? Which I just you, when you start talking about Santos, yeah, there's always like one other thing. Where his no, chief of staff impersonated McCarthy's chief of staff no. in order to fundraise. Yeah, no, really, pretending wow. to be the, the speaker. Yes, yeah, yeah. Wow. This whole the whole team's crazy. The wow. whole, all of them are nuts, man. It's just you know, but at this point, a McCarthy can't do anything. He can't he can't force yeah. him out yeah. because he's so weak already that there's nothing he can do. <laughs> uh, just, oh. Well, you know what? Since he's speaker, since he finally, after fifteen votes, got got the, the the speaker position that he so coveted, I think it's only fitting that he be saddled with Santos. I think that's great. yes, yeah, that's great. That brings up something. Okay, we had already submitted our podcast last week when Mike Rogers got dragged out by his jowls. Oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I How saw about that. that? I saw yeah, that. He was going to go over and whip Mike Gates' ass. That's yeah, what he was headed to. He was, Did you yeah. see the guy from uh, the the Tennessee uh, Republican uh, yeah. had said that he was sitting between them and that uh, you, you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't drink when you're a redneck <laughs> on the House floor? <laughs> I did see that. <laughs> I, mean, I thought, so wow, great. ouch, yeah, ouch. Well, I was drop Ooh. him like a bag of dirt. What are you Ooh, doing? Ouch. 
Now, I will say up front, let me just say up front, you know, I don't, I do not support the use of racial pejoratives such as redneck. I don't use that word. But I have to say that in the context of this whole situation, my my thinking was, after I kind of flinched when I heard that word, I thought, well... This is kind of a, yeah. a really messy kind of Well, listen, man. Look, you had you had a bunch of white dudes from uh, Tennessee, Alabama, and Florida uh, that were all drinking. So you know it's going to be a fight. I mean, this uh, you know that's just a redneck way. Um, and and listen, I can say redneck uh, because I you know I have You're- been one. Um, and, and still have, as I've mentioned before, a number of redneck tendencies, um, that's all stopped very, very well short of racism. So I, I don't know, you know, maybe I'm the enlightened redneck uh, here, but, um, uh, it's, oh, that would be a good name for like a book or something. The enlightened redneck. It would, it, um, would, it would definitely be an eye catcher. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, but, redneck. but let me ask you a question. Sure. So. Do we take him to be, was he, do you think he was literally saying that Mike Rogers was drunk? Is I that think so, what, yeah. Really? I think, well, I think what he said, what he was saying was, was he had the liquid courage, uh, you know, whether or not that means drunk or just, you know, with a good buzz uh, enough to run over. And because he said he was threatening people's careers. And I've heard from others that there was this back and forth about the committee. Uh, that Rogers was going to chair and whether or not Gates was going to be, have a ranking position on that committee. And, and so they were, they were going back and forth about this and Gates wanted that and had been promised that. And Rogers had apparently signed off on it, but with some chagrin after he had made earlier statements about how none of these people should be put on committees uh, if they were not going to back McCarthy for speaker. And, uh, and so then this whole thing went down and uh, he gets pissed and he's going to go over and he's going to end Gates's career. According to the people who were talked to Rogers, uh, he was making threats about ending his career. And that's, that's what he was going over there to do that. Maybe there was not going to be a physical altercation, but the reason why he got dragged out by his face is, is that somebody, the, the guy from North Carolina wanted him to stop talking. Uh, he did not want him to spoil what could have been a deal uh, by, by making some threats about the committee that he was going to chair. Uh, so, uh, so anyway, that, that was that, kind of funny though, when he, yeah, when he grabbed the his hilarious. face, that, that was kind of funny. I have to say. It was hilarious, man. Yeah. It was, I guess, remember my wife going, Who's the guy that got dragged out by his face? Uh, just, <laughs> uh, no, honestly, it, it reminded me, and I wrote, it reminded me of like a farmhand redirecting cattle yeah. uh, into like a chute somewhere by grabbing their face and yeah. turning them this way. Yeah. Right. yeah. Kind of a reverse yeah. mush. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. smush. Uh, mush or smush or whatever you call it. Yeah. I mean, what a freaking circus, man. Yeah, from, it was crazy. Uh, from just the, I mean, honest to God, you, there's, it's so nuts that you don't even hear about Bobert and Marjorie Taylor Greene anymore for because they're not crazy enough to fit into the nonsense that's going on. Now, was that Bobert sitting next to Gates? No, it was Green. Green was, was sitting next to Gates. No, 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 you're right. You're right. And, and, and at that point, that because Green was involved because she was the one that was passing around the phone that Trump was on. 
and where Trump was trying to talk people off the ledge, apparently. Mm. Uh, and, and then Boebert was sitting next, next to Gates because I've seen it. I don't know if you've seen the uh, bad lip reading uh, bit on what McCarthy and Gates were talking about back and <laughs> no, forth. I, uh, I didn't see that. But, yeah, but Boebert's involved in that as well. I'll send it to you. Uh, it was It's pretty funny. Uh, but it's... Uh, uh, yes, yes, you're 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 right. She was she was involved. So I I, I was looking at her during uh, a lot of that, and I just thought, boy, she looks uh, kind of like what? Why am I here? What what is about to happen? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, just, it's so it's so dumb, you know. And, and but as I, I reminded people in the column, the you, you, one thing you should keep in mind: as funny as it was to watch Kevin McCarthy struggle to get to this point. All right, here. You should always keep in mind that they were not doing this for noble reasons. Okay. Yeah, they, that's this right. Was not, yeah, this was yeah. not a, the group of noble Republicans coming together uh, to try to restore some order and decency to the party. This mm-hmm. was uh, the right wing crazies out there that were upset that Kevin McCarthy hadn't shown enough deference to them, hadn't mm. done enough to protect Donald Trump, hadn't done enough to, to help protect the insurrectionists that, uh, mm-hmm. that nearly overturned a, a, a United States election. So, you know, that's uh, that's where we are. Um, and then, well, but, you know, listen, you know what I would like to get? I would like to get the George Santos take on the on January 6th. The, just a just a breakdown of what, you know, what he thinks happened that day. Hmm. Uh, I bet it would be really, really awesome. Yeah. He, uh, the embellishments is, would be fascinating. I'm sure that there would the embellishments would be beyond anything we can even imagine. Yeah. His 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 attacks of people on Twitter now are just. Oh, I can't the the balls on that guy. You know, as, <laughs> as Tony Soprano would say, the balls on that guy. <laughs> hubris, right. hubris, hubris, hubris. Yeah, hubris is, is a good is a, is a much more much more cultured and refined term uh, to say what I said. Uh, so it means the same thing. Let's uh, listen. Hey. hey. This, this is why David and I are here, okay? I give you this rednecked-up version of the very learned and uh, and esteemed words that he uses. So, uh, uh, you know. That's All right. Uh, with that, uh, let's, uh, let's slide our esteemed asses out of here. Until next week, y'all be safe out there. Peace. Peace. <laughs>